This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Welcome back to the North Stars Pioneer Podcast. This is episode number 29, and we're your hosts. I'm Alex Weldon. And I'm Eric Robertson. And joining us today on the podcast are a couple of pioneer agronomists, Mike Gronsky and Nick Schimmick. And they're going to discuss some results from the agronomy summary book and highlight the results uh, also of their local trials. So welcome to the show, Mike and Nick. Hey, good morning, guys. Yes, thank you guys so much for joining us today. So yeah, as we talked about, our local agronomy summary books are off to the printer and we should be getting them by the end of the week. So just a precursor to all of our listeners, make sure you talk to your local pioneer rep if you're interested in a copy. But we're just going to dive right into kind of summarizing some of the results we saw across the district. So Mike and Nick, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, how many of these corn and soybean uh, PKP plots were harvested across the geography this year. I'll speak a little bit on, on where we had it. So I kind of cover on the Minnesota side, central Minnesota, east central Minnesota, um, all the way from, from Hinning, Alexandria, over to basically the Wisconsin border north, north of Twin Cities. So within that territory alone, we had 89 corn PKPs and we had 49 soybean PKPs. Now we say PKPs, those of our pioneer product knowledge plots. Um, where we're showcasing a both new and leader products um, across the within our lineup. So um, we had a really good number all the way from 73 day maturity up to 105 day maturity on corn and from a 1, 0.1 soybean up to a, a basically a 2.3 soybean. So I'm um, really got a good look at a number of those across uh, at least our territory here in Minnesota. Yeah, and similar to Nick, I mean, you know, over in north central, northeastern Wisconsin, we run a wide range of maturities too on the corn front. We go everywhere from 74 to, you know, 105 day on the grain side and on the soybean maturity side, you know, we're as early as 01s and, and out as late as 24s and occasionally that a, a 25. So, you know, pretty wide range of maturities as well. And it was a great year for plots. I mean, I, you know, looking at the data set that we've put together this year, I mean, we couldn't have asked for a nicer spring. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, we can always make plans this time of year in the wintertime of where we're going to do our PKP plots. And, you know, some, that doesn't always come to fruition. But, uh, you know, we, the, the first step is always getting the plots in the ground, and spring was good for that. And then, you know, harvest has been very good as well. I mean, there's only a handful of locations, you know, across my geography that are still in the field. Yet the majority of them were wrapped up and, and part of the summarized data that we publicized in the book this season. And on top of that, too, I'd say, you know, looking at that number, like I said, Mike, good planting early, good harvest conditions. Cooperators did a great job getting in and out. I mean, across Minnesota and Wisconsin, we had over 900 corn plots harvested and over 400, oh, nearly 500 soybean plots harvested. So we really got a good look at, at it, you know, these products, too, to get not only performance, but, you know, what products were performing consistently, too, across the states. Yeah, and it was it was an interesting year too, in the fact that you know you know both of our geographies, you know while there's a large distance that separates us, you know we were forced we stayed in rain over to the east here this year, and it was interesting looking at the yield potential we saw even on some of these dry land locations where you wouldn't expect the numbers to be quite as phenomenal. But uh, I know the same was same can't be said for your area, Nick. You guys were a little drier based on conversation pictures and 
and everything else that occurred over over that direction of the West. But uh, that was a very unique season, to be said. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's a good way to say is that we test the same products across both East and West. So, you know, the same 91 day corn product we saw to the West where we had drought and how to handle drought, you guys got to see it to the East to where it was, you know, good growing conditions and a little bit more moisture. Yeah, it gives us an overall view of just really how that product performs given in both types of growing uh, seasons. So with that, I mean, you know, based off of corn and soybeans, irrigated versus dry land, um, it sounds like to the northeast and eastern uh, central Wisconsin, probably didn't see a whole difference between the two. Um, but what, what kind of yield averages are we seeing on some of these plots, guys? Well, I mean, some of the some of the top end stuff that, that we were seeing. And, and so right in my backyard here, just to the north, you know, so you're right in the heart of north central Wisconsin. I mean, we were seeing some of these mid 90 day products, which is kind of the, the top end of the maturity wise of that part of my territory. I mean, we were watching stuff shake out in that, you know, 240s, some 260s that rolled on some of these plots. I mean, there were some incredible numbers that, that really shook out. Um, once again, you know, these were, these were nice locations planted early, but, um, you know, even as you started pulling the average data sets together, um, once you got into some of this fuller season corn, more of that 91 plus day, you know, there weren't a lot of locations where that yield was, you know, when you start averaging all these locations with a given variety, you know, a lot of this stuff was then that 210, 220 plus, um, you know, and that, that I would say that's a conservatively on the low side on the corn front. And I'd echo a lot of the same over as you go west, you know, like uh, like Mike alluded to earlier, we had a lot more uh, drought um, stress as we moved west. I mean, being on the drought index nearly all year. But with that being said, I mean, we still had some phenomenal yields, have a good number of irrigation out there that we could saw some of the highest yields these producers have ever seen in, in some ways. Um, and lots of times I was with the fuller maturity products because we had above average heat. So some of these fuller maturity products really stretch their legs. And I mean, we saw, I guess, our highest end PKP way was, a, you know, nearly 300, probably in the 290 range. And but at the same time, we had that swing a lot larger in our area down in the dry land, really stressed acres where, you know, 60 bushels on a high for corn. So we had a really big swing, um, but we probably were still in that average. And Mike said around that 210 to 230 range, you know, across the across that 90 to 99 day um, maturity spread. And then same on beans, we had some, uh, probably a lot of beans in the 40 to 50 for the average, you know, but we had really stretched out to, you know, 80 plus, I think was our highest on the bean side for high end and, and down to the teens on the low end. Um, so a heck of a range there too, just depending on where our drought stress happened and, and when it was too. Yeah. And like in our territory, it was kind of interesting. I mean, we were almost getting, we had pockets that almost got too much rain, which I, you know, that's it, hard to think of. Um, but, uh, you know, August is a little challenging that got eight to 10 inches of precipitation. And, you know, there was some, some yield loss that was taken on some of these soybeans um, directly because of that, you know, but even our, our poor PKP locations, I mean, we were still having locations that were averaging well into the fifties and, um, you know, and there were some locations that we didn't get quite as much rain or we were on better drain soil where we were watching these yield, yield averages by location, you know, trickling in in that, that seventies and occasionally getting, getting a little bit even closer to 80 at times. So, um, it was an interesting year. And the, the one thing too, and Nick, you hit on that was just the, the amount of heat we had this year. You know, a lot of, a lot of air, a lot of my geography this year, we had, you know, 300 plus GDUs that were accumulated. And, uh, you know, I know it, that gets exciting, especially when you look at the potential of fuller season hybrids. Um, but I'm a person that believes in looking at averages, right? And uh, I love talking about the 20 year average when we talk about GDUs and 
Um, you know, you look at, you know, we have some products that arguably overperform. Um, and I shouldn't say overperform. I would just say, you know, they perform better. You know, sometimes we test products that are a little fuller season because we have the opportunity to in these PKP plots. Maybe they're a little further north of zone. But, you know, from a planning standpoint, it's always important to look at, you know, where you are, you know, how many GDUs you're getting, you know, and, and put that into put that into mind as you're looking forward in that planning process to 2022. And, you know, not every year is going to give us an extra 300-plus GDUs to work with, you know, a lot of years. More years than not, we get back to the 20-year average for a given location. So certainly something to keep in mind. Test weights, though, holy cow, I've never seen corn that heavy in my entire career. Um, you know, looking at corn that's 58, 59, a um, couple places we had some 60-pound some test weights on certain hybrids that are known to have better test weights. I've never experienced test weights like that in my life. Uh, just incredible. And yeah, I'm glad you hit that, Mike, because even that's what we were talking about in a lot in our geography as we go on through August with the drought that we experienced is, man, are we going to have, you know, adequate test weight as we get towards towards uh, harvest season? And we really started picking up rains um, in, in August and in, in some the heat continued and we really, really packed on good test weights. So even in our drought stressed areas, we had phenomenal test weights, like you said, all the way up to the high 50s to, uh, to right around the 56 pounds where we wanted to be. Um, and moistures with the, with the fall that we had, and we didn't really shut down with cool temperatures, great drying conditions for the most part through September and, and most of October. We had a lot of these PKP plots being harvested in that, the low 20s to even a lot of them to the high teens, kind of in that sub fairly dry or adequately dried with this, this favorable fall that we've had. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and going and kind of going off test weight, um, Erica, I think, should we roll right into the question that we were, kind of wanting to hit on and that's a hot topic of conversation is tar spot um, based off of some of these results that we're hearing from you guys and you know test weight and things of that nature um, when tar spot kind of comes in when you know based on that flowering period or grain fill period um, talk to us about tar spot guys so you know my area it was, it's been pretty interesting with tar spot this year it's safe to say you could find it anywhere in my geography, I mean, we were finding it very, very far north of Highway 29. Um, and, and as I look at the impact that it had on the crop overall, you know, it was the southernmost locations that really kind of took one on the nose more so than further to the north. Um, you know, the southernmost locations, we were seeing tar spots set in sooner. And, uh, you know, and the direct consequence of that was that when we were looking at, you know, hybrids that weren't as tolerant of tar spots, you know, we were seeing these plants that were, that were dying off earlier than other products that were planted with them in the same field. And some of the, you know, some of the things that we paid for, um, one was stock integrity. Um, I feel really fortunate that we had a nice fall for harvest. I mean, that was one of my biggest concerns as we were getting further along. I mean, some of these fields that have been devastated by tar spot, you know, we were looking at products that had been, you know, that, that you'd go do your pinch and push test and you'd have 45, 50% stock failures and you're only you know, the 14th, 15th of September. Um, if we would add some wind, some rain, some snow, like we just got here the other day, I mean, that would have been pretty pretty bad for, for those particular locations. But even though we were able to get them harvested, the, the yield hits were there. Um, it's definitely showed up in the combine as you visit with producers that had other products that were split planter that had better field tolerance for tar spot. You know, the biggest thing is, is that we really lost out on kernel size. You know, as you look at these ears, and, and you definitely could see that the grain itself was chafy on the cob. You know, obviously it didn't have the ability to reach its maximum potential because it's the plant's life had been overall shortened. You know, and the other factor, too, is this, this was lighter corn. I mean, some of this stuff 
know, we talk about some of the great test weights that we've seen this season, but some of the stuff that was devastated by tar spot was, was, was flickering in the low 50s, um, you know, and it, it really showed. So um, I think it's something that's on everybody's mind at this point, um, whether, whether a grower was directly affected or maybe they simply had presence of it in the field and didn't really feel the, the impact of it this given season. Um, you know, everywhere I go, it seems like the question comes up, well, what's, what's going on with tar spot? What becomes our next plan? And, you know, and it's, it's going to be something that moving forward, we need to look to do more for management wise. And, and obviously the one biggest thing is just looking at what we're, what we're planting in a given field. Um, the one thing I can confidently say is as I look at our lineup, we have a very robust product lineup that handles tar spot very, very well. Um, and I feel pretty fortunate that uh, to have the opportunity to to work with that. Yep, and I, I even say, Mike, you know, as we move a little, jump over into Minnesota, those questions there were, were very, very new into it yet. I mean, Wisconsin's been dealing with it probably since 2018 on, um, a little bit more heavily than really since 2020, maybe some in 2019, and kind of started seeing the southeast Minnesota. Um, but now, even as you look at uh, or move north, you know, as we've confirmed it now north of I-94, where it hasn't been found before, too, it, you know, in Stearns, Benton, and Canabec counties. Um, so just showing that the disease progression is moving north and that it's going to be, uh, it continues to spread throughout that. And so just something to kind of be proactive and aware of, you know, if you look at Wisconsin, it's, there's still a lot to be learned about it, right? They've done a great job in characterizing hybrids, but also um, looking at how can we help prevent this and, and, and manage this disease in Minnesota we have the opportunity too, at where we haven't seen it yet to be a little bit more proactive on it and, and a lot of the work has already started to be done on it um, so we're just trying to have this conversation started already the agronomy handbook has an article on on tar spot what it is where it's spreading at and and, and how to look for it um, but uh, just to emphasize on what Mike had said there you know when we talk to growers about what do we do when we want to manage it? One is genetic tolerance, and we're trying to really help characterize where that's at. You know, our, our product team has done a great job in trying to characterize our tire spot tolerance. And then two is uh, potentially coming in with the fungicide if we start to see set in, set in early enough. So um, just a couple of the main points, I guess, in tire spot as we continue to track it. And that's the biggest thing is continue to track and just be aware of where it's at and if you're starting to see it come in. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for for highlighting some of those key key. Um, talking points on, on tar spot and where we can find that in the article on the, in the agronomy book, kind of speaking of specific articles and trials in the agronomy book, would you guys be willing to speak and highlight um, some of the specific trials that you guys were working on and just other resources you'd like to draw attention to in that book? Sure. I, I'd take that first, Erica. So, um, you know, as with past seasons, you know, I've last years, I've had the opportunity. I've worked with uh, Swiderski equipment, their local equipment, uh, uh, conglomerate. They uh, they handle white planters and precision planting. Um, they they span a lot of my territory, and we've done a lot of basically agronomic planter trials, looking at new technologies that have been advanced to the marketplace, and and looking at you know basically the impact that we can see on on emergent stand consistency and and most importantly yield. So um, quite a few different different product projects that I had written up into this year. Worked with some of their new technology on smart depth. Uh, worked again with furrow force um, in, in addition to that, and also looking at some fertilizer placement uh, strategies with conceal. So, um, no, it was very, you know, as, as usual, it's nice to, to have the opportunity to look at some of the newest technologies and see where we're gaining yield potential with them. So uh, those were some of the highlights of some of the things that I worked on um, in, the, in the book this season. 
Yeah, and one that I want to highlight that we worked on um, as well was uh, it was on, on list E three soybeans. You know, the we had a number of what we call executive demo sites, or essentially demo sites across the across the Minnesota Wisconsin region, where we looked at uh, multiple things within the enlisted system, using a program approach, looking at trying to spray out the specific weed height and also nozzles and gallonage on top of these, um, or coupled with all this. And so, it was a really a great look at what the enlist system can do as well as, you know, what, how can we actually help combat, you know, trough control weeds like water hemp and, and really coming at that because I think at the end of the day, Enlist is, is going to be a great tool. We have Enlist E3 soybeans, of course, with a Pioneer brand, but uh, what can we do with Enlist to make it more effective? And because and, not really a silver bullet, and as, as many growers know, it's, as we could try to control tough control weeds like water hemp, um, then you just come at it with, a, with an integrated approach, and that's really nice looking at the ability to, you know, what was most successful when we looked at, the, at these demo sites. And so there's a couple notes on that in there um, within the article. And then just a couple of other ones I want to highlight as well from some, some colleagues. Um, we, you know, Mike and, and a fellow agronomist, Ryan Bates, they put together a corn dry down study, which is really interesting this year with the dry down rates that we had. A uh, fellow agronomist, uh, Joel T had a, a corn nematode, and Erica, you helped out put that together as well with corn nematode results and, and what can we also do with that as well as stand counts and, and what do we see this year with stand counts. And then lastly is a, a soybean desiccation study was put together by by uh, agronomists in the eastern part of Wisconsin, Caleb, um, Caleb Wilson, and it kind of interesting this year with a lot of questions on green stem and, and the continued growing season this fall. It was actually a great year, too, to look at soybean desiccation and, uh, and what that can do. So uh, it's really a, a great mix on, on a number of agronomy, I guess, topics that we experienced this year. And uh, just some talking points, too, as we go ahead into next year on as growers start to think, okay, this year's wrapped up. What can, what can we really highlight going into, you know, 2022? Absolutely. So many great articles um, and just lots of great resources to take a peek at. So if any of those uh, are of interest to our listeners, please make sure you get your hands on one of these books by talking to your to your local pioneer sales rep. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing, um, guys, and, and being with us today. Um, I think for the most part, harvest is pretty much on the tail end of things, but I think there's a few fields here and there. But is there anything that you'd like to leave you? Uh, with our listeners today before we wrap up, Mike and Nick. The, uh, yeah, I'll just highlight one is, you know, as we get, I talked about preparing for 2022 there, um, you know, Mike alluded to it earlier, looking at multi-year data, but also I say, look at multi-site data. You know, it's, it's really easy to get infatuated by a single plot and how well one product did one place, but, you know, that's really good for telling us what that product or what those products did at. And one year during with one set of management criteria um, with one set of weather conditions. But as we know, years change. And also as you go east to west, north, south, even within your old farm, things change. And so what I like to do is, yeah, let's look at that single plot and think about how it did there. But also let's look at how, how we did across, how this product did across a, a number of different environments. Because, you know, one thing that we want to see or what growers ask is we want yield, but then we also want consistency. And so when we're looking at how these products perform, um, we also want to see consistency. So with these summarized PKP sets that we have in there, let's see how these products do as we stack them up across the region, um, as well as, you know, look at, you can look at individual plots, but let's see how they do, you know, elsewhere as well. Right. And to, uh, I mean, Nick, you pretty well covered that, but one other thing I'd elaborate on too is, you know, even when you're looking at multi-site location for data and, you know, multi-year and in some instances on some of these hybrids that have been around for more than a season, you know, it, it's still important to have a deep discussion with your pioneer sales representative about making sure that product fits you, right? It fits the given acre that you're trying to plant. 
it fits the population, you know, your population you're looking to populate it at is, is going to work for that. It fits your complete management style. So, um, you know, looking at the data is obviously important, but still understanding, you know, every little, every little fine-tuned portion of that product and, and making sure it's the right one for your given operation is also very key. So that's why it's great to have those, have those conversations and get that worked out now to have, you know, the best products planned as we head into 2022. Great key reminders to leave our listeners with. Thank you guys. Um, as we wrap up here, what is the best way for uh, somebody to get a hold of you if they have specific questions, Mike and Nick? You can uh, contact me either via via phone or email. I mean, text, whatever it might be. I mean, uh, my my email address is nicholas.shimek, S-C-H-I-M-E-K at pioneer.com. Feel free to reach out or if you have your, if you're in the Minnesota, reach out to your nearest Pioneer sales professional. They'll get you in, in touch. Feel free to reach out that way as well. Yeah, same here. You know, text, call, email, uh, mike.gronsky at pioneer.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mike and Nick, for your time today. We really appreciate all your insights. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the North Stars Pioneer Podcast. Reminder to rate and review the podcast. Tell us what you want to hear. Share with a farmer friend and find us on any of your favorite podcast apps. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.